Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Faith Baptist Church. So good to have you with us for our online service. Today is Sunday, March 29th, but to be honest, it's actually Friday afternoon at about 2.36 p.m. We've had to pre-record a number of elements to put this service together because we want to support our government and the whole state of emergency. No non-essential gatherings over five people. Um, 
if we had our whole production crew, if we had our whole band here, if we had our speakers here, we would be upwards of 20 people. So we're taking this seriously. We hope that you're taking this seriously. We hope you're staying home other than essential errands only, staying at your home, your neighborhood, social distancing, washing your hands. How many times have you heard that in the past week, right? Um, right now, you are watching from our website. Maybe you're watching from Facebook Live. Maybe it's later in the week. You're watching on YouTube. You're listening on Spotify. We want to encourage you to follow us on all of our social media platforms. And you can find all of them and our newsletter and so much more at our website, sharethejourney.ca. So why don't you go to sharethejourney.ca, check out all of those options and be sure to follow us. We wanna remain as connected and in as much community as we possibly can during this time. And online is the best way to do that right now. I have an event for you to put on your calendar. Everybody needs something to look forward to, right? We're looking forward to summer, warmer weather. Sunday, June 28th, we're going to be having a baptism service um, down at the river. It's going to be a great time. If you know of somebody who needs to be baptized or if you need to be baptized yourself, if you've made the decision to trust Christ as your Savior and then you want to make that public display of obedience, baptism is the first step of obedience after you've trusted Christ as your Savior. So we have marked that date for Sunday, June 28th. If you want to start a conversation about baptism, just go to sharethejourney.ca, click the contact us button up on the top tab and start a conversation about baptism today. So many of you tuned in for Doug Campbell's live sermon last Sunday, where he talked about Jesus being dedicated at the temple. He talked about our dedication level in faith to God, but then he also talked about child dedication. Uh, we know there are parents out there who are considering child dedication. Uh, we already have some parents lined up for a child dedication. So when we're back here together in person, we're gonna have a child dedication ceremony. So if you would like to see your child dedicated, just go to sharethejourney.ca, find that Contact Us tab, and start the conversation today. We would love to hear from you. Um, another new thing that we're trying is a midweek Bible study. I'm teaching, uh, leading a discussion through the book of Ephesians on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Um, don't think about it as a sermon or a preaching time. It's very laid back. I was sipping on my tea. People were tuning in. We were saying hi to one another. It was a lot of fun. So why don't you mark it on your calendar this Wednesday, 8 p.m. Join us at our Faith Baptist Church Facebook page, and we're going to jump on Facebook Live to talk about the book of Ephesians. Well, today we have Steve Adams with us. He's going to be teaching and preaching from the book of Luke, chapter 2. And I think this is our last week in Luke chapter 2. Some of you have been saying it's so ironic. We're going through the Christmas story and Jesus being dedicated and now Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2. Next week, we're going to be in something different. We're following our Rescuer series through the Gospel Project curriculum. This three-year journey through the Bible has been great. But right now, I'd encourage you, grab your coffee turn up the volume, warm up your singing voice, get your kids in the room, because we're going to join together in worship.
Worthy of 
We are so thankful for our band who made the time to come in and record those songs. We're thankful for our tech team. Right now, I want to say hi to all the kids out there. Are there any kids watching out there? I can't hear you. You're going to have to shout louder. Wave. Hi, guys. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, here at Faith Baptist Church at our Celebration Sunday gatherings, we have a lot of kids who come, and we offer an age-appropriate program called Journey Kids. Uh, we follow the same teaching that we do on Sunday mornings through the Gospel Project curriculum with the kids at an age-appropriate level. And we're so thankful for our partners at Lifeway who have made that curriculum accessible to you at home. Uh, you can go to sharethejourney.ca, our website, and you can find all the curriculum right there. It is password protected, so if you're a parent of Faith Baptist Church, then you can find the password in your email. You can access the activity page, the journal, the video, and I'd encourage you, take some time, parents, and watch it with your kids and engage in the story that we're talking about today. I also want to let you know that Journey Kids has a Facebook page. It's called FBC Journey Kids. Make sure you like it. Make sure you follow it. There's a ton of great content on there. There's videos from Alex. There are challenges that he's posting. I hear that there's even going to be a new challenge this week based on the story that Steve is going to preach from today. So make sure that you follow Journey Kids on Facebook. We are aware that these are tough times for many financially, uh, but we are so thankful for the people who continue to give faithfully. I'm reminded of the widow who only gave two mites, and Jesus said that she gave the most out of anybody. She gave out of her poverty. Everybody else gave out of their wealth. We are so thankful for those who continue to give faithfully. So what we want to do right now is the same thing we typically do at our Celebration Sunday services. I'm going to explain how you can give right now a few different ways, and then we're going to have a time where you can decide what you would like to give. Here are some opportunities and ways in which you can give right now. You can give online, sharethejourney.ca. The Give tab is in the top right-hand corner of the website. You can click there, give a one-time gift, or you can set up a recurring gift. You can also text to give. Just text 84321. Choose your amount and text it to 84321, and it'll respond with prompts to help you set up a one-time gift or a recurring gift. We'd also encourage you to download our church app. It's called Church Center on your app store, and then you can search faithbaptist-gv, and there's a giving option within our app. And if all else fails, you can just write a check and throw it in the mail to 38 Station Road, Great Village, Nova Scotia, B0M1L0. 
I want you to take a moment now and consider what God would have you give to this ministry. After a short period of time, Steve is going to come and preach from Luke chapter 2. Would you join me as we pray for the offering? Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the generosity of your people. Uh, we know that you love a cheerful giver. God, we thank you so much as to how you've blessed us in such a time of trial. God, we know that we are people most highly favored and blessed. Thank you so much for your blessings in our lives. God, may we count them every day and be grateful for how you have blessed us. God, we just pray for this ministry now. We pray that you would show us how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this community, in this time. We pray for those who are suffering, whether it be through the virus, through fear, through different effects of this season on their lives. God, I just pray that they would learn to trust, to rest and rely on you, Father. I pray for this offering now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be gathered together, even when we can't gather together. Uh, it's good to be talking with you this morning. And, and uh, we're on a three-year journey through, through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we uh, are doing this with the conviction that the Bible is what we need in this day, just as much as it is in any other day, uh, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. We need to be... Uh, uh, hearing what God has to say in his word and studying scripture. And uh, we've been about uh, a year and a half, uh, the past year and a half in the, into the uh, books of the Old Testament, beginning with uh, Genesis right up to uh, the prophet Malachi a few weeks back. And uh, now we're into the New Testament, the early parts of the New Testament, um, reading about the rescuer and... Uh, Every birth announcement throughout those Old Testament scriptures, all the people would, would always wonder, could this be the one, the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Kings? Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Josh shared from the account of Jesus' birth. Last Sunday, Doug Campbell shared with us uh, from the text uh, expounding uh, the narrative of the dedication of the baby Jesus at the temple. And uh, from the time... Jesus was a baby born in a manger of Bethlehem until the time he uh, and was dedicated at the temple some 40 days later, up until the time when he was baptized by John at age 30, were given one single authentic scriptural glimpse into his life as a boy growing up. And uh, that's our text for today. Now, perhaps um, this lack of information from those early years of Jesus' life proved too much for human curiosity uh, and presented too much of an opportunity for speculation because uh, it led to a large number of spurious accounts being written in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century AD. You may be aware of the existence of some of these ancient writings which portray themselves to be uh, other gospel accounts, uh, uh, accounts other than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, these uh, works uh, are often referred to as uh, the apocryphal gospels. They're part of a larger body of literature called uh, pseudepigrapha, pseudo meaning fake or forged. Uh, so these are materials that are the product of people uh, writing spurious accounts and attributing them to someone else. Um, these pseudo-Christian uh, writings weren't accepted as authentic by the early church, uh, and therefore not included in, in the scriptures as we have them today. Um, they were written later, and they contain information that's inconsistent with the uh, writings that we know uh, to be uh, authentic. Uh, some appear to have been written uh, to further the heretical teachings that assaulted the, the Christian church in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries A.D., and uh, it's also speculated that some were uh, written for uh, entertainment, like uh, creative writing kind of stuff, right? So there's no historical or textual evidence to support these 
uh, these other stories, but that hasn't stopped some people from latching onto them and creating uh, wonderful conspiracy theories about the, how the church has tried to suppress these, uh, these other gospels or these other accounts. Uh, even some uh, authors and writers uh, taking the position that these represent the real stories of Jesus and using them to correct the, uh, the information that they uh, would say from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are uh, incorrect. So, for example, uh, some of these writings... Uh, the people conjecture uh, about Jesus having a relationship with Mary uh, Magdalene, for example. Dan, Dan Brown, author of The Da Vinci Code, is one of the many who have exploited the fascination that people have with conspiracy theories and the fascination that people have wondering about those early years of Jesus' life as well. And, uh, and uh, probably maybe one of the better known works uh, referred to as the Apocryphal Gospels would be the Gospel of Thomas. And it wasn't written by Thomas. It was written too late to have been written by Thomas. But that doesn't stop people like Dan Brown and others uh, from speculating and coming up with all kinds of fanciful um, theories. So, so in the Gospel according to Thomas, or the Gospel of Thomas, for example, um, uh, Jesus is portrayed as basically a spoiled brat, maybe a monster kid. Uh, one of the incidents that supposedly took place in those childhood days of Jesus is one where a playmate uh, decided he wanted to play in a particular puddle. Jesus uh, felt that that was his puddle, and so Jesus uh, strikes him dead. Another time a boy accidentally runs into Jesus and Jesus reportedly says, you shall not go further your way. And then the boy dies on the spot. Uh, and there are other stories like that in these pseudo-gospels that are uh, pseudo-gospel accounts that are just as absurd. Um, and obviously, we don't have time to, uh, to talk about those things here today. Uh, but I do want to recommend a book. If you're interested in, in these um, uh, issues, I guess. I'm just going to see if we can get a good shot of that. Um, if you're interested in uh, learning more about how the New Testament canon was put together and how the early church determined which books were actually authentic and which were not, and you can check out this book by uh, Ed, uh, uh, some Polish guy, James Sawyer and Daniel Wallace. Uh, I can't pronounce Polish names, but uh, it's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, not easy reading, but as I say, if you're interested, you'll want to check that out. So um, I recommend it. It's, it's a curious thing, though, isn't it, when you think about it? The early days of Jesus, the childhood of Jesus. What were, what were those days like, and, and uh, what was it like? What was he like? What was Jesus like when he was a boy? That's a fascinating uh, question, and I would think that uh, children who may be possibly tuning in to, to listen today might be interested in that, or parents with young children might be interested in that question. What was Jesus like when he was a boy? What was his life like? Uh, let me suggest to you that we are, uh, uh, we have this one account that's inspired, that we believe is authentic and inspired, and no others, and uh, it's kind of curious that we would uh, have one. Why not more? Why not uh, others? Why just this one? Let me suggest to you th that uh, one possible reason uh, that that would be the case is because Jesus' coming was not about what he would do as a child. Rather, it was all about what he would do as a man. Remember, Jesus had no public ministry or interaction that we are aware of until he was 30 years old. So it's like with John, meaning John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 verse 80 says of John that the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, let me also suggest to you that uh, the reason this one account is given and not uh, others uh, is because when Jesus was uh, a child, he only had one real job to do, and that was to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with uh, God and man. Um, and that's precisely what our text, our main text today says, and we're going to be talking about that statement later, uh, later on. 
And I think the answer to the other question too, which is why this one account and not other accounts from the early days of Jesus, from his childhood, would, would uh, I suggest the answer to that question might be because this story tells us the one thing about Jesus as a boy that we need to know. And that is the one thing that he had to do. Uh, kids today only have one thing to do too, and that's to grow. Um, that's all. Um, uh, I'm not suggesting the kids can't be helpful members of the family, but uh, that's not why we have kids, right? I hope that's not why you had children. Uh, I hope you want to see your, your children grow up and grow into uh, strong uh, and wise uh, adults, men, men and women, uh, who um, So when we talk about growing, I'm not thinking just about physical growth. When the passage says here that Jesus grew, uh, grew in stature and wisdom, uh, you know, if you feed a child, he's probably going to grow physically. But, but we're thinking about how we grow inside, mentally, psychologically, and spiritually, to grow in wisdom and in stature with favor of God and man. That's what the text says. We're going to go there now and, and, and read it together and, uh, and then take it from there. I want to start at verse 40 of Luke chapter 2 because Luke 40, uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 40 is um, uh, the verse that kind of finishes off the, the text that Doug was sharing with us about last uh, week of Jesus being dedicated in the temple. Uh, and, and in verse 40 it says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and favor of God was upon him. Uh, that verse concludes the account of the dedication of Jesus in the temple. It sums up the life of Jesus from the time he was born until the time he was 12, or until the to- from the time he was dedicated as a child until the time he was uh, 12 years old. And so it also serves as a preface, a preface to the account that we're into today, uh, which basically is Jesus now that he's at 12 and uh, is becoming a man. Um, so the first text, last week's text, about a, uh, a baby becoming a child, um, a baby becoming a boy, and today a boy becoming a man. Uh, let's let's just uh, let's just read it. Luke chapter two, verses forty-one to fifty-two. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But Then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he was spoke with them, to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her, her heart. And then lastly, verse 52, the last verse of the chapter says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus is... 12 years old here in this account, he is uh, getting ready to become a man. And that is uh, obviously very significant. Um, Jewish boys in the day of Jesus had, as Jewish boys um, often do today as well, when they turned 13, had their bar mitzvah. And uh, bar mitzvah uh, means son of, a, son of the commandment, and it was a, uh, a milestone in the life of a, that marked the transition from boyhood to manhood for a Jew 
in Jesus' day. So this is a very significant time in in uh, Jesus' life and in his, his in his development. So the text also says that um, Joseph and Mary had a, a custom of traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Um, the text doesn't say it, but history suggests uh, and Jewish custom suggests that this would have been Jesus' first trip to uh, the temple at Jerusalem. And it's connected to the fact that he was had reached his, uh, his 13th year. And uh, this uh, trip to Jerusalem from Nazareth, Galilee, to Jerusalem would have been a, a big deal, and a big deal for the boy Jesus, for sure. Now, the temple in Jerusalem at this time wasn't the temple of the exiles, uh, because Herod... Uh, attempting to patronize the Jews, had taken that modest temple of the exiles and he had enlarged it and completely refurbished it, um, the structure, beautified it uh, with magnificent edifices and facades of, uh, to the point where the disciples would later point to the, to the temple and the magnificence of the temple, um, pointing it out to Jesus in Matthew 24. You may recall that. Uh, so uh, his, this trip would have been uh, would have been spectacular and uh, just uh, something to wonder about. And we love to point out how uh, Jesus' uh, parents lost him in all of this, uh, probably because uh, we as parents probably all have stories of a time when we lost one of our children, right? You can admit it. We we probably have already all done it. We you know you know you do. There there was a video posted online back probably maybe a month or so of a a, a woman who drove her three sons to school, pulled up in front of the school, then only to realize that her boys weren't in the car, and the video went on to show her returning back home. And the boys are standing there in the driveway, and they all had a really great laugh about it. I'm sure that Mary uh, wasn't laughing by the third day. Um, the, the text says that they were pretty frantic, um, you know. Uh, and you and you might wonder uh, how how could they actually have lost uh, Jesus? How does that happen? How do we lose a child? Well, in this case. We have some insight as to how it happened. And the story actually gives us some insight into uh, Jewish uh, the family life and culture in Jesus' day. It says in verse 45, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So that's an interesting glimpse into family life. Uh, the extended family. It's pretty obvious that uh, Joseph thought Jesus was with either with Mary or maybe with uh, uh, his cousins or an aunt or an uncle or some extended fa extended family member as they probably traveled, probably a fairly large entourage traveling together and, and uh, Joseph thinking one way, Mary thinking another way. And at the end of the first day, they realize when they start looking for Jesus, he's not there. And so... It says three days, probably uh, one day traveled out, and then probably after discovering his, he's not there, another day traveling back to Jerusalem, and then on uh, uh, the search and for him and the finding of him on the, the third day in the temple. So today, uh, church is our extended family, and lately it's been really tough. It's been hard uh, not being able to get together. Um, is tough. Um, feeling isolated and cut off is is, is hard. Uh, we're making the best of it. We're making the trying our trying our best to stay connected, um, and we know that God is doing things in in these days, and He's teaching us things through this. But but it's it's not easy because extended family is really really important, and it's part of how God wants us to live. Anyways, it says after three days they found Him in the temple. And uh, 
they were pretty, pretty frantic. You know, it's, it's, it's frantic if you know what it's like to lose a child. But can you imagine losing the Savior of the world, right? You know, um, the passage says, after three days they found him, this is verse 46, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And this is where we really get into some of the heart of this passage. Let me just read that with you again. After three days they found him, in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. I just love that that passage. I love it. Uh, young person or older person, it doesn't matter. If you want to grow up well, if you want to become the man or woman God has made you to be, there are two things you will want to do well. Learn to listen well. Learn to ask good questions. When you're growing up, you only have one job to do. Children only have one job to do. That is to grow up and to grow up well. And if you're going to grow up well, these two things will be of the utmost importance. Learn to listen well and learn to ask good questions. It's not simply uh, something that Jesus modeled for us as a boy this it's more than that. This was the trajectory of his life. Think about all the interactions that we will be reading about and studying that follow after this one in the life of Jesus as he interacted with the men and women of his day and the children of his day. Think about how many times Jesus asked questions. Uh, he even had the annoying habit of asking, uh, answering questions with questions. And, and, so, and the reason is because Jesus had learned to ask good questions. And he, uh, the text also indicates there as well that uh, along with asking um, good questions, he listened well. Listening well and observing and when you read through the accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, and, you, and we, we can see in those different accounts how observant Jesus was, whether it was uh, the world of agriculture or construction, whether he was talking about sparrows or, or, or whether he was talking about people, Jesus was observant. He had an inquisitive mind. He asked the right questions. He learned to ask good questions, and he had amazing insight into life and into human nature. And we can easily say this, well, of course he did. He was God, God in the flesh. But to jump to that conclusion is to miss the import of the text here because uh, these were things that Jesus learned because the passage says he grew in wisdom and stature. So Jesus had to learn. Uh, he didn't come into this world uh, without setting, a, 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 setting aside some of those prerogatives and attributes that he enjoyed as uh, God the Son, the eternal Son of God. He, he had to learn these things. And um, the, uh, the statement there that, uh, he, uh, that follows, it says in verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So uh, the uh, word understanding there, as I have um, checked uh, in some of my resources on that, uh, one, uh, one of my resource uh, commentaries said that the, the word that's translated understanding in that verse 47 is uh, in the Septuagint version uh, of the scriptures, they said that word is translated using eight different terms. So it's a very, there's a lot of meaning there. One of the phrases that's used to translate it is the phrase uh, combinative insight which means that Jesus had, had uh, gained the ability to understand things in a way that enabled him to put all the pieces together. 
because truth has a cohesive nature to it, and life has a cohesive nature to it, and Jesus uh, was, was uh, applied himself in such a way that he was able to gain that type of insight. And uh, um, the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, says that the members of the Sanhedrin who on ordinary day sat as a court of appeal in the temple would on the Sabbath days and the feast days come out on the terrace of the temple and they would teach. And those teaching times took on different formats, but the use of questions and answers was a mainstay of the familial education process of children in Jesus' day and still is in Jewish homes today. And so these, these men that are being referred to here would be the doctors of the law. They would be the elite scholars of Jesus' day. <clears throat> and so as they're teaching and as they're entertaining questions, uh, they are uh, amazed, verse 47, they are amazed at Jesus' understanding and his answers. Now, what were they talking about? Uh, it was the Passover, so perhaps that's what they were talking about. That would make sense. We don't have any way of knowing for sure what they were talking about, but here is what we do know. We know that they were amazed by Jesus. They were amazed at his understanding, and they were amazed at his answers. So whatever they were talking about, this is where we begin to see the amazing Jesus. And this is probably one of the most important parts of this whole uh, passage here. Um, as we have heard the promises and studied and read the promises of the Old Testament prophets and uh, heard uh, the declarations at Jesus' birth and as, at his dedication, this Jesus is the most amazing person that ever lived. It says that all who heard him were amazed. And we're going to hear that and we're going to see that over and over and over again throughout the gospel accounts, throughout the life and ministry of this man, Jesus Christ. I want to just pause a moment and just get you to think about this. Jesus is the most amazing person who has ever lived. He was the most amazing man who ever lived. He is the most amazing teacher whoever lived. We're on a three-year journey through the Bible. And in order to understand the Bible and appreciate the Bible, we have to find the center of the Bible. What is it that ties it all together and makes it all cohesive and coherent and makes it all uh, uh, make sense? And the answer to that question is right here. Jesus is. It's all about him. He is absolutely, completely, totally amazing, and his grace is amazing, and everything about Jesus is amazing. I hope that you are amazed by Jesus Christ, because if you have seen him, if you have heard him as he comes to us on the pages of Holy Scripture, um, he is absolutely, totally amazing. And if you're amazed by him, that is God creating faith in you. And I hope that God is creating faith in you as you observe Jesus on the pages of God's word because he is amazing. He is our rescuer. Verse 48 says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you uh, treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in, in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's, uh, that I must be in my father's house or about my father's business, as the uh, King James says? Uh, he's not saying, why were you looking for me, suggesting that they shouldn't have cared uh, or that they wouldn't be distressed if they couldn't find him. He's, he, I think he's basically saying, you should have known where I was. <laughs> you shouldn't have had to hunt because you should have known right where I was. Now, notice in Mary's statement, I uh, hear your father and I, she says, your father and I have been searching for you. Notice in Jesus' response, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So 
in relation to this gentle reminder from Jesus to his father and mother, Mary and, jo and Joseph, that God was actually Jesus' true father. It's remarkable, isn't it, that the first words we hear from the lips of Jesus recorded for us in the pages of Scripture outline his unique relationship with God the Father, pointing to his divine nature as the Son of God. And along with that, the reference to the work that the Father had sent Jesus to do. Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. They didn't understand these things, but Mary did remember these things. And she shared them with Luke. Luke is the one who collected this information and put it together in the gospel according to Luke that you and I have that we can read. Um, we're thankful for that. It says there he submitted to them. Of course, it says in the law, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus honored that commandment. And then the last uh, statement in the section that we're concerned with today, verse 52, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Stature here undoubtedly refers to Jesus' physical growth, but wisdom here refers to inner growth, the development of his mind and his character consistent with the, the idea of biblical wisdom. I want for us to think uh, as we try to kind of wrap up the, these uh, thoughts here today, I want us to think a little bit about this last statement. I don't know if you've thought about this, but Jesus was a student of the Bible. Actually, the Bible Jesus studied were, uh, would have been the books that we have been studying over the course of the last year and a half, from Genesis all the way through to the book of Malachi. But Jesus studied those scriptures. And one of the reasons we know that he studied these scriptures so well is not just the reference here to how the doctors of the law and the scholars were amazed by him, but also because as we read throughout the gospel accounts, we see over and over again how Jesus quoted from almost every single book in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the books of the Hebrew scriptures. And as um, we study and research uh, family life in the days of Jesus' childhood, we, uh, we learn that this would have been uh, a culture, a culture. I'd say that uh, you could say that the uh, uh, parents in Jesus' day were some of the original homeschoolers and answering of questions and asking and answering of questions was an established method of training and discipline and Jesus excelled at it. You know, we often focus on Jesus' deity and rightly so because Jesus' ability to save us uh, is uh, uh, contingent upon his identity as the Son of God, his nature as God in the flesh. But Jesus' ability to be an example for you and I is contingent upon his humanity. The fact that, that Jesus had to do it the hard way, he, he had to learn, he had to study, he had to apply himself, just like you and I have to apply ourselves if we're going to grow in wisdom as well as stature and in favor of both God and man. Throughout Jesus' life, we often find him praying. Um, to pray means to ask. God doesn't need to ask for anything because he is completely self-sufficient. But because of Jesus' humanity, he prayed. He prayed and he asked God and he depended on God for what he needed. 
Likewise, he studied. He studied scripture and not just the scripture. He would have had the writings of the rabbis as well and he would have studied those also. And that enabled him to interact with the, uh, the leaders of his day. How often do we hear later, do we hear Jesus say things like, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And when you read those things in the gospel accounts, understand that Jesus was studied. Jesus was a scholar. Jesus was a biblical scholar in his day. And uh, it reminds me of the passage uh, as Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says this, he says, Do your best, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How do you think Jesus did when it come, came to this whole area of studying and learning uh, truth? What does it mean when we say Jesus lived a perfect life and then laid that life down for us? Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. And it might be more correct to say Jesus was... Uh, Jesus became the greatest teacher who ever lived. What other teacher do you know throughout all of history that exemplified everything they taught without a flaw? It's not the church's job. It's not even the extended family's job. It's largely the parents' job, but even parents don't bear most of the responsibility when it comes to a child's ed education. As a young person, you bear the ultimate responsibility to grow. To grow in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Kids, you have one job to do. Parents, your kids have one job to do. And that's to grow well, to develop well, to become the person that God has made you to be. And you can't do it without Scripture. You need to study God's Word. You need to immerse yourself in God's Word. You need to study it. You need to meditate on it. You need to read it. You need to memorize it. You need to sing it. You need to allow it to shape and direct your life. Allow the Word of God to enlighten your mind convict your heart, and to shape your life. Next uh, week, we're going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus. <clears throat> Do you remember the voice that comes from heaven and says, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived. That's the kind of person he became. What kind of person are you becoming? And how do you become someone who is growing in wisdom and in favor with God and man. You do it by walking before God and looking to God. You do it by seeking with all of your heart to put a smile on the face of the one who made you, the one who knows you, and the one who came for you, the one who gave his life to save you. And I hope that you will apply yourself uh, in that way. Jesus is our Savior. He is the eternal son of God. He's also our example. He became flesh. He became one of us. He took on our humanity and he showed us how to live. Um, uh, pray with me, will you? Father in heaven, I just thank you for each one today that's taken the time to think through these things and read through the scripture. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for what it, what it has for us, what you've put there for us to take, to take from it. We thank you that you um, have given it to us so that we can know what it is that you expect of us as we uh, grow up in this world and as we move from childhood to, to become uh, young adults and men and women of God. 
And Lord, I just pray that you would impress upon the hearts of all of us how we need to go about that. But mostly, Lord, I pray for parents today and I pray for children and young people today, Lord, that you would uh, impress upon uh, our hearts the importance of looking to you and living our lives before you and growing before you to become the men and women that you want us to be in wisdom and in favor with you, most of all. In Jesus' name, amen.